0: Use promo code MADNESS50. That's MADNESS50 to secure your limited time welcome bonus today. everybody, welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofet, along with Rich DeCray. Not a lot of football talk this week. We do have some that I'm told we'll get to in the true or false segment of this podcast. But there's a lot of, lot of talk about softball with the postseason finally approaching. Bedlam was everything that it lived up to be. Oklahoma State taking the first game of the Bedlam series and the Sooners coming back, taking games two and three in really dramatic fashion to win nine, the, the ninth consecutive Big 12 championship in a row. I guess that's why the, I use the word consecutive for Patty Gasso. And then the the Big 12 postseason awards come out for the fa- for the five major awards go in Oklahoma's favor. And um, now now, Rich, all all eyes turn towards Oklahoma City and the Big 12 championship. Oklahoma gets underway on Friday at two o'clock with Baylor, and then. Um, and then they will also play Texas Tech at 7.30 uh, in pool play. Give me your thoughts here on Oklahoma. Just Bedlam, Big 12 Championship all around. What, What are you thinking here?
1: Let's start with Bedlam because one of the things I feel like I do need to point out is the fact I thought Oklahoma not necessarily would have a cakewalk, of a time with the Oklahoma State Cowgirls, but I didn't think that Oklahoma would struggle. They end up dropping that first game, and all of a the sudden, there's this mindset that Oklahoma could drop their first series of the entire season, not just in conference play, but of the entire season. That was a legitimate possibility. And Matt, one of the things that you and I have talked about, this is dating back to how Oklahoma handled the loss. At Georgia was just how well they responded. Now we did expect them to respond. We didn't know if it would be in a similar fashion, but as we know that Oklahoma did go on to win that second game six to four, very <laughs> score wise. It's the exact same as game one was, but there were a, a lot of dramatics that could have played out. There were a lot of dramatics that did play out. And I know Patty Yasso was tossed. In that game, because of a call that was made at third base and rightfully so, I thought that she had every right to be upset for okay. what transpired in that singular play. But now, when you, one, we're when looking at said the whole...
0: rightfully so, you're like, That that call was made at third base, rightfully so. I thought you were going to say it was the right call. I was about to jump through the internet and stranglehold you.
1: No, 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 that that Patty Gasso was getting getting herself tossed over the call gotcha gotcha. she rightfully jumped into that conversation and and made an argument on on behalf of her player and i've never questioned Gasso and whether she's had her players backs or not but this is something that obviously supports that kind of an argument so back to the whole series here um i felt as though oklahoma had their back against the wall they responded in a fashion that was very favorable for them, six to four. We saw some of the antics, we saw some of the drama. Again, I had the questions of how would Oklahoma deal with this? Would they view that second game as they truly had won it? Or were there a couple of errors <laughs> from Oklahoma State side where Oklahoma State saying, you know, if we can clean this game up, we can take game number three. But game number three was a completely different story. And I felt as though Oklahoma was in control um, for a majority of that contest sure home runs big hitters certainly played a factor but when we look at the the overall from start to finish Oklahoma showed that they were in control for far longer than Oklahoma State did
0: man I've got so many th- I'll give
1: you my thoughts on the tournament here in a second
0: yeah yeah well let's, let's stick with Bedlam for just a second because I have so many thoughts that just raced through my mind uh when you when you talked about that I, I and I, I'm not a guy – you know me, Rich. I'm not a guy who blames a lot on officiating, and, and I, I'm not going to blame this on officiating. But, man, my, I, I tweeted this out on – I believe it was Saturday. Um, it's a spotlight weekend for the Big 12. you got your two best teams in the conference, you know, a top-10 matchup, and you're playing on the ESPN networks. And this is the crew that the Big 12 sends to to officiate this game, the, the most vital series in in the conference – That weekend, one of the top series in the nation that weekend, and you you can't tell me that the Big 12 doesn't know, like, who are the good crews and and who are the bad crews and who are the mediocre crews. You can't tell me that because every crew is rewarded with postseason in basketball if you're one of the top crews you get to go and and do the NCAA tournament if you're not you're in the NIA if you're not a mediocre team if you're not even mediocre you get to go to the CBI okay In football it's the same way if if you're a top crew you get you get the top tier bowl games if you're one of the lower tier crews you get the belt bowl And, and it's the same thing in softball and you're telling me the big 12 didn't know the quality of this officiating crew and it's not just with the call at third base there there were so many plays over the course of those three games and and there was one there was one incident it was the same game that patty got tossed but there were there was well first of all in that game there was a, a a bad play at first base where an oklahoma base runner was safe and that's where patty Gasso got her warning a lot of people don't realize that but she, she argued that call, and again, she was right to make the argument, but she got a warning there, and then when she made the argument at third base, that's why she got tossed so quickly, and a lot of people don't realize that. But also in that same game, there was an incident where the, an OSU batter got hit with the ball, and the ball hit the, the butt of the bat, You know the, the little nub that comes out below your hand, and the ball hit that. Replay showed the ball hit that and they they initially awarded the base to the Oklahoma state batter and and then they made her come back and then they let her go back to first because she showed them that she had a mark on her hand and there was there was a good period of time i'm not talking about seconds rich i'm talking about minutes where this officiating crew just had no idea what to do no idea what was happening and they awarded a base because a girl showed them a mark on her hand i'm just saying this was I, I am a guy who will just ride officiating. I will do that. I won't ever blame a win or a loss on officiating, but I will say at this level, okay, this isn't peewee level. This isn't going to the park on Saturday afternoon level. This is the top. This is as high as you can get in collegiate softball. This is a World Series-type weekend, and this is the crew, the Big 12 Sins? They, they can't be better than that. And, and if you're the big twelve, I mean, if you're a fan of it, softball has its own set of issues anyway. We trying to trying to grow a fan base. And by the way, if you can't watch this weekend and not become a fan of softball, then you're not going to become a fan of softball. That said, you you send this kind of officiating out to that weekend and you're not doing yourself any favors either. trying to trying to push your brand out. Sorry, that's that, that's my thought on, on the officiating. I didn't mean to go down that road, but you sent me down there.
1: Man, um, if I had to make a counter argument, it would simply be that that everybody's human. And I get that mistakes happen. You're looking at the severity. You're looking at just how egregious these mistakes are and saying that they are inexcusable. I'm not going to argue that with you, but I am going to say that. Everybody's human. Everybody's going to make mistakes, no, Matt. But, I'm going to go ahead and fast forward.
0: No, hold on, hold on. Because I, I, I gotta. I just got to come back to that and just say, I get what you're saying, and I agree. One thing happens, and you've got a strong case there, Rich, for what you're saying. But there were bad calls over the course. There was one home run that went foul. Paddy Gasso thought it was a home run. A lot of people in the stands thought it was a home run. One of the officials thought it was a home run. But, it got, I mean, just – like it, it got called foul. I'm saying it was a weekend, it was a three-game set of events. So we're not talking about just one incident. You pick any one of these incidents, I'll even maybe give you two over the course of a three-game series, and I'll I'll go on your side of the argument. But we're talking about multiple call after call after call that was egregious on both sides. It wasn't just the Oklahoma fan base upset with these these, these officials, it was both sides upset with them over a three games rich that's bad officiating three games do
1: you think do you think the pressure and and this should never be a conversation that we have i'm going to acknowledge that up front do you think the pressure got to these officials
0: this is remember it's yes i agree It's, it's a three
1: game series that will decide the big 12 Conference right. regular season champion. It will decide who's the number one seed heading into this upcoming weekend and the Big 12 championship, the Big 12 tournament right. that we're about to talk about. It is also this the, the a pressure-packed the, moment?
0: No, I agree because it could also yeah. decide the host of a regional and well, probably a super regional more than a regional. super. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the point is, if if you're if what you're saying is true, if the pressure got to these officials, then I just proves my point. They had no business being there
1: no and i would 100% jump on board with that statement because as i mentioned up front that this is a conversation that we should never have that we shouldn't be sitting here talking about these things we should be talking about the players and i'll say that about any sport any time that you find yourself as a fan of a game talking about the officiating more than what took place on the field of play something's wrong something yeah was was way way outside of the control of the players and the abilities that they have and the skills that they have honed year after year after year to reach this level of play. And I get, when we talk about college softball, this is, it's, it's one of the biggest dreams for a softball player because the college realm is possibly the biggest stage for softball players in the world outside of the Olympics.
0: Well, I would even say what's going to happen at the end of this month in Oklahoma city may even supersede the olympics on a national level clearly not on a world level but go ahead Let, let's move on um bedlam bedlam softball was fantastic by the way you take about set aside the officiating for a second and just look at the tenacity of these two teams going at one another nonstop. um just a, a fantastic weekend of softball and i know people tune into this podcast for football talk and But the reality is the story right now, the biggest story is is what happened in Stillwater. Fantastic series. Uh, Both teams well represented. And I I tweeted this out again after the first game. It's evident. These are the number one and the number two teams in the Big 12. And there's no doubt about it.
1: When I'm looking, Matt, uh, just ahead at the Big 12 Championship, when I'm looking at the tournament and the draw, I do have to say that Oklahoma found themselves in a very favorable position. We can go back to that Bedlam series, and you know that Oklahoma State wanted it. Why? Because... Texas is going to be in the other half of the bracket, Oklahoma state or Oklahoma, whoever had won that would have been on the other side of the bracket. Those are not easy draws. And I know that there are only six teams that make the tournament and knowing those odds, you want to play the lesser of those six Oklahoma state just didn't work out in their favor. Weren't able to overcome some of the hurdles that were set in front of them, namely the Oklahoma Sooners. This past weekend, they're in Stillwater on their home turf. Turf. And so when I'm looking at this Big 12 championship, it sets up very favorably – in my opinion, for Oklahoma, given the draw that they have. The biggest interest for me is not going to be Oklahoma softball because I think there's an expectation for them to make the championship game. I think there's an expectation for them to go 3-0 in pool play. It's what's going to happen when we step into that second half of the bracket and who's really going to emerge from that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's an advantage to be in the top seed, and that's what made Bedlam so important. And if there is a team, so um,
1: I yeah, go ahead. Can I pause you real quick? Because because sure. I said three I need two o. I knew what you meant. I just
0: I just rolled with it. <laughs> um, yeah. So pool plays on on um, on Friday, Oklahoma. Like I said, we get the Sooners uh, get Baylor and Texas Tech. Oklahoma State on on the other side of that, they're they're going to have to play the Longhorns in pool play. And and if there is if there is a team that you're watching out for that's going to really make some noise in this championship weekend, it's going to be Texas. And if you're Mike White, I think this is an important weekend for him, um, not because of what Oklahoma is doing, but because of what Oklahoma state is doing and the Longhorns went out and they, they, they fired, they, they fired who they had. And then they, they went out and they got, you know, New Zealand's native son, Mike White to come in and coach this team after having a really storied career at Oregon. And the, only, the reason they brought Mike White in to compete was to compete with Oklahoma and, and really try to get on the level that Patty Gasso was on. And Oklahoma State has risen above Texas since Mike White got to Austin. And so if you're if you're a booster, if you're an alumni, if you're somebody supporting that softball team, you brought this dude in to really compete with Patty Gasso, and now you've fallen below Oklahoma State. So you've got a shot this weekend at Oklahoma State in pool play. If Texas isn't in the championship game on Saturday, I think it's a major disappointment for the Longhorn program and really kind of starts begin to stoke that, that flame under Mike White's seat. I think he's got some time still. Um, I, don't, I don't think you'll see anything happen this offseason, but the pressure will definitely be be mounting if he can't get at least get to Saturday's championship against Oklahoma. Now, on that side of the bracket for the Sooners, I agree with you, Rich. I, um, it's going to take a miracle for Oklahoma not to be undefeated on Friday and, and rolling in that championship game uh, ready to go. Um, I, I just, I really feel, I, I'm not saying this as a fan, which we all know, I am a fan of the softball program, I'm saying this as a guy who's covered just about every single game this season. I think it'll be, um, I think it'll be interesting if it's not back-to-back run rules for Oklahoma on Friday.
1: That is a real possibility that, that we do need to be on the lookout for one of the reasons jumping to back to the other side of the bracket here in pool B that I can see Texas potentially pulling out, an upset over Oklahoma state. One is they didn't just play in a rivalry in a rivalry setting. That's very emotionally draining, especially given some of the calls that were transpiring throughout the course of that three day period. Now I do expect Oklahoma state to come in and absolutely prove that they're worthy of being in the championship, but want to make another run at Oklahoma for a fourth time to settle the score. It would be two to two at that point in time on the year against one another and saying, you know what, we're not, we're not going to let you outdo us. And we are still vying for something. Of course, both of these teams are playing for something. Oklahoma state looking to remain inside of that top eight. I think they will, Matt, regardless of a loss. Um, I think, it, it it would be very iffy if they lost in the championship game and it would be extremely iffy if they didn't even make the championship game but you have to look at texas texas is actually the second best hitting team the one achilles heel for them has been their fielding they're not the right. best fielding team and they're they're committing errors left and right if they can shore up some of those things and they can find themselves in a little bit of a rhythm i think some of these other teams might have a might have a struggle, specifically Oklahoma State, with getting over and and actually producing more runs than Texas can.
0: Well, yeah, the fielding we saw it, uh, I guess Oklahoma in that series in Norman. And the thing is that's that's a season long thing. And when you when you have a season long trend, it's not just something you can mm-hmm. you can shore up now that it's championship right. I, I will say though that that's that's the first game in that in that pool is Oklahoma and, and Oklahoma State and Texas. And to me, that, that sets the championship for that pool because Iowa State's not going to, I don't think Iowa State's going to jump up and beat either Oklahoma State or Texas. I think the Cyclones are going 0 for 2. And so whoever wins that game between Oklahoma State and Texas is probably going to go into the championship Saturday 2-0, and just like Oklahoma is. And so there's a lot of pressure on that first game. And whenever you have pressure, it intensifies mistakes. And you're talking about the fielding errors that Texas is, is mm-hmm. prone for. Oklahoma State, well, we learned from them this weekend. Maybe they're not on the same level as far as percentages as the Longhorns, but these girls can hit the ball. We saw them, and we saw them not quit, especially that that championship game on Sunday for, for the Big 12 championship to, to win that series. Oklahoma had them down in run rule territory, and then they just came back and took advantage of pitching mistakes. They put the ball, they placed it well in the field. They sent it out of the park. And what we know about Oklahoma State is this. Again, I legitimately believe they're the second best team in the conference. And I can 100% tell you, after covering Bedlam this week, this last weekend, they'll make you pay for mistakes. And every mistake that Texas makes will be intensified. And there's already the pressure there, like I said, because... I believe whoever wins that first game on, on Friday is going to be there on Saturday in the championship.
1: Well, why don't you give me a quick prediction, then? I'm going to put you on the spot. Oklahoma, we're saying unified on our front here that Oklahoma has an easy run into the championship game. I'm going to put them in as my first team. But who's that second team? Who comes out of pool B for you?
0: i I gotta say oklahoma state um i i was not sold on oklahoma state until this last weekend even though they lost this series to oklahoma it it was tooth and nail these girls showed a lot of fight they showed a lot of resolve they they've shown things that i haven't seen out of texas yet and i I covered texas when they when they played oklahoma in norman um i've seen them in a couple of other series just here and there this week uh, over the course of the season I think it's going to be Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. I think we get Bedlam one more time on Saturday, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: I do concur with your statement. That game at 11 o'clock, though, between Oklahoma State and Texas, I understand why that one is picked up by ESPN. It's not on the Big 12 Now network, if you will, even though that's kind of a branch. Of ESPN, At least that's my understanding of how all of that's working. I do think it's the reason it's because of the the implications that that game will potentially have not just on the championship game, but what it also means on the national scene. And then we're going to roll right into that championship game. And I do expect it to be Oklahoma. And I do expect it to be Oklahoma State. I expect it to be, I, I don't know that it would be as high scoring this go around. I think we may see the pitchers start to take over here later in the season, especially in the postseason, as they're the ones who are going to bear the brunt of the pressure and have a majority of the responsibility to keep their team rolling and to keep that momentum flowing as we head into the the bigger picture outside of just a conference championship.
0: Well, when you talk about pitching, a lot of a lot of people tuned in this weekend, this last weekend, and saw Oklahoma for the very first time. Now they've been following them by checking box scores and looking at uh, you know things on the internet. But if you tuned into Bedlam last weekend, you really saw that Oklahoma has the value of Nicole May, a freshman pitcher who really, in my opinion, was the unsung hero of the Bedlam series. And when you when you look at this pitching staff that Oklahoma has, Shannon Sale gets a lot of a lot of um, you know discussion. Giselle Juarez was drafted number two overall in the Athletes Unlimited draft uh, this last week. But Nicole May, a freshman pitcher, was named unanimously to the All Big Twelve freshman team. She held this team together in several tight spots over the weekend in Bedlam. And when you're talking about a weekend like this, where you play three games in two days, that's exactly what Patty Gasso needs to see how her team responds going into the postseason, where they're going to host a regional, because that's a very likely situation. And I like what Patty Gasso even said after Bedlam was like, Hey, this is what it's like to, if we had to go on the road to a super regional and lose the first game and come back and have to win two games, this is what we, this is what we know we have to do. And Nicole May was a very important part of doing that. And Patty Gasso even said afterwards that, she doesn't believe that, that her team would be holding that Big 12 championship trophy had it not been for, for Jada Coleman, for Nicole May, for Tara Jennings. All these freshmen that have really just stepped up and contributed and have been spectacular. Nicole May is exactly one of those. And, and when you're talking about pitching three games in two days, you're going to go deep into your pitching staff. And that Oklahoma, I think, has a sizable advantage there.
1: One of the just talking about the pitching staff here, Matt, one of the things that had shocked me was we started to see a little bit of the evolution of Olivia Reigns early on last season before the season was completely canceled. Obviously, Nicole May was not one of the individuals who was available, but she's. May being has really taken over the role that I thought Olivia Mm Reigns would have. Reigns has only pitched 16 innings to Nicole May's 57. She's right up there, I mean, on the heels of Shannon Sell in terms of the amount of work that she's been given. And to hand that to a freshman especially with G Juarez and Shannon sale on this roster says a lot about the capabilities, but I think it says even more about the poise that she has and the, the readiness, if I can use that kind of a term that she continuously displays to put herself, not only in a, a very, very stressful situation. If you'll remember, she inherited numerous runners throughout that Oklahoma state series in Stillwater and she stepped in and she handled it as though she was an experienced veteran. There's not a player that I think you would desire to have more so in your back pocket like Patty Gasso has than what Nicole May has displayed from the circle this year.
0: No, I agree 100%. And they did try Olivia Reigns a little bit over the Bedlam weekend and it just didn't work out for them. Nicole May says she's just, speci- it's not, it's not a knock against Olivia Reigns. Nicole May has been spectacular And she's the next star. She's the next star Mm -hmm. pitcher at the University of Oklahoma. There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, well, she's played in just as many games as Giselle Juarez has at this point of the season. So, again, it speaks to the level of talent that she has, her work ethic, and and every day going in there and doing what's being asked of her, but doing it at a high level.
0: Right. Okay, so we got true or false coming up. This is uh, Richard's week to ask those questions, and um, that means I'm at his mercy. So, um, here we go.
1: Well, I'm pulling these up, Matt. Um, I know that we love to put you in the hot seat because it's one of your favorite positions to be in. We're just throwing that out there even though it makes you sweat here just a little bit. And I, I kind of want to piggyback off of what we've been talking about here recently as it pertains to this this sooner's softball team. I was holding off on some of my comments about Nicole May because I knew what my true or false questions were uh, and I didn't want to okay, spoil one my of bad. those. I feel and like so, I always no, no, do. No, no, you're, you're you're absolutely fine you are absolutely fine because we didn't even get into what, what I was going to ask of you. When I look at this, this Oklahoma softball team, I have to ask this first though. There's a lot of debate going on right now as to who would be the number one overall seed. Would that be UCLA? Would that be Oklahoma? Is there another team like in Alabama who Mm -hmm. can squeak in there given the strength of schedule that people like to say the sec has versus some of these other conferences, any one of those, in my opinion, could easily get the number one seed, depending on who, who you're asking. So when we ask a group, a conglomerate of people, the, the answer to that question is murky. It's, it's muddied up right now, and there's not a clear, concise number one, given the fact that Oklahoma does now have two losses. So when I look at this tournament, when I look at the Big 12 championship and I look at Oklahoma potentially claiming that, regardless of who they have to beat to get there, let's say Oklahoma does win. And this is a hypothetical for you. Oklahoma does win the Big 12 tournament. True or false, they would be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament.
0: Oh, man, that's a uh, that's a good question, Rich. I'm going to say. I'm going to say that's true, and and the reason why is because I think clearly if they win this this championship, then they are going to have gone undefeated over the weekend, and so you add three more wins, you, you they've been number one for so long, and it's not even been close, you know, UCLA had its chances uh, when they lost at Georgia, UCLA also lost the opener to their series, they lost, uh, they lost, the opener to Bedlam, UCLA lost. Now we're going into the, the championship tournament. I do believe a team like UCLA, I, I'm gonna say this and maybe make some some fans upset, but if a team like UCLA or even an Alabama can go into their conference tournaments and run the table, that that speaks more, that holds more weight than Oklahoma running through the table in the Big 12. The Big 12, you've got basically three teams. You've you've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. Those those are the top three teams. And then it gets kind of murky after that. Um, When you're looking at the the Pac-12, they're deeper than three. You look at the SEC, they're deeper than three. And I I know people – here. here's what I'm saying true, okay? I'm, I'm sorry I'm ranting on you a little bit. But people make the argument about like in Alabama, hey, you know, look what they're doing in the SEC, and the SEC is deeper than the Big 12. And why I can't 100% refute that argument, what I can say is any argument about the SEC that includes the strength of the SEC must also include Oklahoma's record against the SEC this season. And Oklahoma, it's not like they have been ducking the SEC. They've beaten Missouri. They've beaten Mississippi State. They split with Georgia. So this is a team that's gone toe-to-toe with the SEC and has a superior record against the SEC. And so if you're making that statement that Alabama deserves – more credit because of the strength of the sec then really what you're doing is you're boosting Oklahoma's strength of schedule as well because they've gone against the sec and when you they it's not like they haven't played top 25 programs this season they played Texas a top 10 program they played Oklahoma State a top 10 program they played Missouri a top 25 program they played Wichita State a top 25 program they played Arizona State going out to the Pac-12 top 25 program so I do believe this is all semantics. I believe it's all conversation because people like me get geeked up and tune into this. But when you look at two losses over the course of this season, that's, that's incredible. And I do believe Oklahoma earns the top overall seed because of that. Should they run through the big 12 tournament?
1: Jumping straight into number two, then here, I hear you on the strength of schedule. So I guess I'm not jumping straight into number two anymore. I hear the argument on the strength of schedule But you also have to look at the body of work, and there aren't many teams that can compare to the the numbers specifically that Oklahoma is putting up. Aside from just their record, you can go even further, Matt, into that and talk about some of the teams that Oklahoma beat while they were ranked that may not be in the top 25, a fringe top 25 program, but they do have those on their resume as well. And it's easy to overlook that and just put the number. I know one of the things that they were putting up during the the Bedlam series was that Oklahoma was a hundred in the strength of schedule, hundred ranked in strength of schedule, whereas uh, Oklahoma state would have been 46th. It is what it is at this point in time. And I think Oklahoma will either be the number one or the number two, but the good thing about it is the NCAA, the tournament itself has a format that puts the best teams right. into the Women's College World Series. So it doesn't matter where you're ranked. If you truly are one of the best teams, you will find a way into that Women's College World Series. And then it's 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 a zero, zero record. And you start from there and you play it all over again. And only one team will reign supreme. We know that you make the, the uh, Women's College World Series three games. Whoever the best team is out of those three games will claim that that price. So we do have a good format to help us sort through all of those things. And at the end of the year, if that's Oklahoma, they will be the undisputed number one. Jumping into question number two here. We did talk quite a bit about Nicole May. We talked about the pitching staff that Oklahoma has, and that has been developed under Patty Gasso year and year and year and year again. This season may be a little bit different in that we're heading into the postseason, and it seems as though Nicole May may very well be the best option in the circle right now. True or false?
0: Nicole May is the best
1: option in the postseason for Oklahoma right now.
0: No, I can't. I can't jump on with that. Um, If you would say Shannon Sale is a better option than Giselle Juarez right now. uh, Yeah, I can get in with that, but. Um, understand what was going on in Bedlam. You're playing a top 10 team on the road. You're, You're two or three cycles through that batting order. They're going to start picking up on you. That's where the value of Nicole May comes in because she gives you a different look. Same thing with Shannon Sell on the second game. Um, in that series. And so when you get to game three and you're starting Giselle Juarez again, they've already seen those pitchers are those hitters have already seen Giselle Juarez three or four times and plate appearances by the time they get to her on Sunday. And this is, I mean, this is a, a very good program that Oklahoma State's bringing to the plate and you're, and, and so it doesn't matter how good you are at pitching. You can cycle through that lineup uh, uh, after two times, they're going to start picking up on things. And so that's where Nicole May has her value as being the kid that's not really got a lot of scout out on her, and she can come in and she can do things. Um, Is she a a good option? Yes. Is she a very good option? Yes. But going through that lineup for the first and the second time, there's no, she's not the better option between Shannon Cell and Giselle Juarez uh, for that first one or two times to the lineup. So I'm going to go ahead and get you a big fat false on that one.
1: I do think there's something else at play that we haven't even considered at this point in time. And it's the fact that Patty Gasso traditionally has pulled pitchers when she believes that they'll face that team in the postseason. That is the case with Oklahoma State. We know not only will they see each other in the regular season, they're going to see each other in the Big 12 tournament and they're, there's the possibility that they could see each other in Oklahoma city a second time during the college, uh, the women's college world series. Do you think that there is the possibility, and this is a bonus one here. Do you think there's the possibility that they may have gone a little bit vanilla with it, with a pitcher like Giselle Juarez?
0: No, uh, because they needed to win. I mean, they they had to win that series to win the big 12. And I think Patty Gasso, knows how good Oklahoma State is. If they were playing Iowa State, Kansas, Texas Tech that weekend as opposed to Oklahoma State, then maybe. Or if they didn't need to win that series, if they only needed to win one game in that series to clinch the Big 12, then maybe. But they had to take two or three on the road. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Giselle started Friday night and uh, just – there's no way that Patty Gasso wanted to go easy on Oklahoma State uh, on Friday night in a, in a series that she had to win to in order to take the Big 12 championship.
1: I'm going to switch topics on you here. We're going to look at a little bit of football. We're going to look at a little bit of recruiting just to give you that heads up. Matt, one of the things that seems to be a trend here very recently is that Oklahoma has been putting their stock into highly rated players at the skill positions. We're looking at a lack of success in recruiting at the running back position, so much so that Oklahoma now, because of what's transpired over the course of the year, now has zero running backs, they signed. Out of high school, you can shake your head all you want to out of high school in the past two recruiting classes. When we look at what's what's currently happening, is it seems as though Oklahoma is going all in on quarterbacks where they're offering just a single quarterback. Now, I know Brock Vandegrift was the one that didn't work out for Oklahoma. He ends up decommitting, which means Oklahoma has to start completely from scratch. I say from scratch, you know they've got inroads, but you get what I'm saying here. They've got to start over in that recruitment process and attempting to entice an individual to come in. I think we saw a little bit of that play out with a guy like Chandler Morris, such a late addition to the recruiting class because Oklahoma didn't get maybe what they had expected to get at the position. Needless to say, 2023, the one player that everybody seems to be looking at specifically quarterback in the Oklahoma Sooners it's none other than Malachi Nelson true or false <laughs> it's a strong pitch by the University of Oklahoma but it's an ill advised move
0: no i don't i i don't think it's ill advised so you you're you're i want to make sure i understand your question mm-hmm. the question is true or false this is an ill advised move is that is that no
1: so so let me i'll restate that for you true okay. or false putting all your eggs in one basket, putting all of your interest on one player is a strong sales pitch. By the university but an ill-advised move in the world of recruiting
0: no i don't i don't think so uh i think i'm going to disagree with you on this just based on the position now i think running back when you look at samar wheaton and you look at what's happened in the past at that position maybe you want to go out and and do like they're doing for 2023 go out and get like three running backs on the hook you know go out and and go multiple you know and and they they're they're doing that um, the kid out of Colorado Gatorade player of the year and, and Oklahoma's heavy on them they've already got one running back in the class and they're going after a third so there you you kind of um, you kind of want to go multiple offers I don't think it's that big of a deal at quarterback and here's the reason why you you mentioned Brock Vandegrift and that situation turned out pretty well for the University of Oklahoma because if they had kept Brock Vandergriff, they would not have gotten Caleb Williams, and I don't think you're going to find anybody right now, especially after the spring game, who's going to say, "Yeah, I think I'd rather have Brock Vandergriff over Caleb Williams." I did, that Oklahoma fan doesn't exist. So what Lincoln Riley is doing right now, he really is the quarterback whisperer, and he's got, he's got Kyler Murray, he's got Baker Mayfield, he's got Jalen Hurts. All those are are kind of, you know. Weapons in his arsenal, so to speak, where he's sitting in front of a, of a family and recruiting their kid to come play quarterback for him. What other coach in the country can say, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, whether you're talking about Heisman Trophy or NFL Draft, those guys are where they are because of Lincoln Riley. And mm-hmm. so if, if it doesn't work out, you know, you say, hey, this is the kid we want, boom, we're going after him. And it doesn't work out. There's 15 other kids wanting Lincoln Riley to come to their living room. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's it's a it's a genius move by Lincoln Riley to be able to say, I literally l- – l- let's pretend I'm Lincoln Riley. Rich, I literally could have any quarterback in the country come and play from my football team, but I'm here talking to you. That's how much I want you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And if you say no, all right, before I get to my car, I'm texting the next guy and asking him when he's available for me to talk to him. You you see what I'm saying? So I don't think it's that big of a deal on quarterback as it is other skill positions.
1: Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, I just look at the recent history of Oklahoma recruiting and I, I see your point. I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm actually in favor of what you're saying and putting all of the eggs in a singular basket and looking at a single recruit at that quarterback position, because we know that it's, it's not, it's not uncommon, but it's not very common at the university of Oklahoma to take two quarterbacks in the same recruiting class. Has it happened? Absolutely. Has it happened recently? Not necessarily. Um, Second question, Matt, that I've got for you football-wise. There has been a little bit of chatter here. I know that we have made it past the NFL draft. We know that Trevor Lawrence, speaking of, Clemson could challenge Oklahoma at the quarterback position. I could see Oklahoma having a number one pick. Clemson having a number one pick, Oklahoma having the next number one pick, and then Clemson taking it right back. There is going to be a little bit of a back and forth that could play out. We'll have to see, and I'm not even going to attempt to say the last name, but the DJ kid who's quarterbacking at Clemson could very well be a number one, number one draft pick here in a couple of years. Thinking of the draft and thinking of um, recent Heisman winners, one of the conversations that I've seen begin to pop up on social media has been this. Who is the greatest college football player not to win the Heisman trophy? And of course there are names out there such as such Adrian as Peterson. a Vince Young, such as an Adrian, Adrian Peterson. Peterson. Okay. So, so, you, so you're, you're at, you're answering my question before I can even ask it at this point, you are saying that Adrian Peterson was a better college football player than Trevor Lawrence.
0: Absolutely. Adrian Peterson as a freshman to do what he did for that team. Um, hands down, he should have won the Heisman Trophy. Adrian Peterson did not win the Heisman Trophy because that year it was a career achievement award and not a one-year thing. Um, was it? Absolutely it was. Adrian Peterson was the best player in America that year. Or or
1: was it that Jason White went to the finals with him?
0: No, no, it didn't. I don't think that mattered. I mean, Adrian Peterson... He was a finalist. I, I agree. I 100% agree that he was a finalist, but... That said, Adrian Peterson was the best college football player in America that year. He, for me, up close and personal, the best guy I've ever Mm -hmm. been, best football player I've ever been around, who's never won a Heisman Trophy, undoubtedly, Adrian Peterson.
1: I don't even have to think about it. There was a lot working against Adrian Peterson. There was a lot working against him. In addition to to what you've already stated, it was that he was... He, he was playing as a freshman, as a true freshman. And that, that's that it year. right there. And he that's didn't even play reason, the entire season.
0: The Only reason he didn't win is because he was a true freshman.
1: That's what I'm saying. Johnny Manziel was the first freshman mm-hmm. to win and, it. And I don't even think Manziel was a true freshman.
0: I, I can tell you this. Johnny Manziel should write Adrian Peterson a thank you note. Because had Adrian Peterson not gone through that, there's no way Johnny, Man, Johnny Manziel would have been the first guy mm-hmm. to deserve it as a freshman and not win it.
1: And, of course, we know that Tim Tebow was the first sophomore yeah. to take home the award. There, yeah. there were a lot of things going against Adrian Peterson at that time. I know that you're a Sooner fan, so I'm going to follow this up with a true or false. True or false question. that you didn't let me ask the, the, the last one. sorry, True or false, you say it's Adrian Peterson because you're a big homer.
0: No, no. <laughs> I, I think if you listen to, if, if you listen to this podcast... And you read what we write at Heartland-Sports.com. What you're going to know is, yes, we're both big homers when it comes to the Sooners, but I think we have a sense of, of re- reality to us where we can say things that they they are what they are, you know. And um, I don't think it has anything to do with me being a homer. I, I think if you, I think you could ask several sports writers who covered Adrian Peterson from different beats as a freshman. And they would tell you the same thing.
1: Let's skip on over them. I I know that we're going to close this out with a little bit of talk surrounding the basketball team. Porter Moser now has one slot to fill with the most recent commitment Mm -hmm. from an individual. Um, And I know that a lot of people were holding out hope that there was one name in particular that would round out this team as that star player, a shooting guard from Oklahoma, sure, from the Tulsa region. I get that not as close as Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma City has produced some, some pretty good talent over the past, what, 20, 20 years, so two decades or so. That's beside the point. Um, the name that I felt like everybody was holding out hope for was, was Bryce Thompson. So true or false, even though Bryce Thompson listed OU, Oklahoma State, Tulsa, all the in-school states as potential final destinations, Oklahoma never really had a realistic shot of him committing.
0: Yeah, that's true. And if you if you were a person who covered this story and really kind of knew the ins and outs of it, you kind of knew he was heading towards Oklahoma State. And you, you know, you, Rich, you and I off air. Well, one time you even asked me about Bryce Thompson on on record, and I said he wasn't coming to Oklahoma. But then off off record, you and I've talked about him as well. And good kid. Oklahoma State gets a a, a solid addition to their to their roster Um, but this was this was in the making the day he left Kansas and it writing was on the wall you knew he was coming back to the state of Oklahoma and honestly Tulsa had a better chance than Oklahoma did and Tulsa didn't really have a chance Um, so no this yeah true (laughs) Oklahoma never had and it's okay because Porter Mosier's Porter Mosier's when you when you look at what he's building he's not starting with the guards and whether it be a point guard or a shooting guard this is okay for Oklahoma fans to, to, quote, miss out on this one, even though they, they, they were never really in on it. Don't freak out over this. Long run, what Porter Moser's doing is it's okay. You, you, look at the, you look at the additions to this roster, and you're going to see a lot of it is in the forward center's positions because that's where he's starting to build from. And that's the foundation. I, I keep saying, I don't want to use the word foundation because I don't want it to knock against Lon Kruger. He's building on Kruger's foundation, but he's doing it differently, okay? It's a different contractor, if you will. And he's focusing on the, that for those guys under the basket more than he is the guys at the top of the key. And, and that's okay, Oklahoma fans. It's, it's this, it's seeing him go to Oklahoma State does not hurt what Porter is doing one bit.
1: Does the equation change? For Bryce Thompson, if Lon Cougar remains intact and this roster remains intact?
0: Uh, now, that's a good question. And I think maybe so. But when, when you look at um, yes. And, and here's the reason why. What Mosher doesn't want, the, the way he's going to coach this team is not to have the Buddy Heels, not to have you know, those guys who go off for 30 points a night on, on those those great nights. He, he wants his guards to control the flow of the game. He wants them to have seven, eight, nine assists in nine to ten points and let those big guys that he's recruiting do all the damage under the basket. So if you're a guy like Thompson who wants to be the score, he wants us and he has the ability to do that. To open up that box score the next, the next day and see his name as the one or the two top scores for the team or in the game, Long Kruger was the coach to ha- see that happen. Porter Moser's not that coach. And that's why you're seeing uh, Harmon leave. That's why you're seeing Austin uh, Reeves go to the go to the NBA. That's why you're seeing these guys jump out. And really, the truth is, that's why you see Brady Manning transfer out to North Carolina because what Brady Manning's skill set is and what Porter Mosier needs from, from that position not the same. He needs Brady Manning under the basket and, and fighting and working. And and we you know for for all the great qualities Brady Manning had. There is a toughness issue that really kind of came to light the last season and a half, so to speak, with him getting out muscled under the basket. And so, the answer to answer that question, it's, it's a great question, by the way. But I, I think I think there is a better chance with Lon Kruger than Porter Moser, just because what Lon Kruger wants from the guards and what Moser wants from the guards. But there's again, there's a reason why you're seeing like this kid. I'm I'm going to mess his name up. We talked about it before we started recording. Um, uh what did we say, Maween? Is that what we said?
1: Yeah, Maween.
0: Maween, yeah. So 610, 205. He's a power forward. He's the number one uh, JUCO power forward in the country. He's Oklahoma's latest commitment. And and when you look at him, um, and, and by the way, you got to give a hat tip to Porter Porter Mosier because he hired David Patrick away from Arkansas, and David Patrick was the was the guy who recruited Maween to come play for the Razorbacks. He signed for the Razorbacks, ended up at Navarro Junior College. Uh, I think it's actually Navarro College now, but he ended up there, and now David Patrick's a member of Porter Mosier's staff, and so when this kid leaves Navarro College, he follows David Patrick to the University of Oklahoma. But when you look at this, this is the um, fourth junior college recruit for the University of Oklahoma in this 2021 class, and and when, when you're looking, you said there's, there's one spot left. I think there's little to zero chance that Oklahoma makes it all the way through the summer with that spot open because Mosier's out there and he's rebuilding this program. And I, I use that word again, and I don't mean to do it, but really it's what he's doing. I mean, he's, he, this roster will look completely different than what Oklahoma has seen just in the terms of size. And, and position numbers where the guys, again, under the basket are going to outnumber those guys who bring the ball up the court. It doesn't mean they don't have talent with the guys who bring the ball up the court. You look at the kid they got from Duke. You look at uh, Tanner Grove's brother that came from Eastern Washington and that package deal. He's adding guys in that play the guard position, but really what he's finding value in is in those bigger guys. And he thinks he can do something in the Big 12 That hasn't been done in a long time. And that is dominate a game by dominating the baskets. And will this team be competitive going into next season? I think they will. But for me as a fan, okay. Take away the the sports journalism coverage part of it, if you will, and just talk just only as a fan, how can you not be intrigued to see the, you know, the redo of Oklahoma basketball. If you think about it, this hasn't been done And over a decade, you had had Kelvin Sampson come in and just say, hey, we're going to focus on defense. Defense is going to be our key to get to the Final Four. And that's what he did. And then Jeff Capel came in and blew everything up and left just broken pieces. And Lon Kruger follows Jeff Capel and says, you know what? We're going to put these back together. And then we're going to focus on, on quality guard play. And the quality guard play is going to get us to the final four. And that's what he did 10 years ago. And now here you are uh, a decade later. And you've got Porter Mosier coming and saying, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to redo it. We're going to, we're going to remodel this program. And we're going to focus on these guys, these big guys under the basket. And that's what's going to lead us to the final four. And it's yet to be seen. But as a fan, you have to be curious what this program is going to look like. I think they will be competitive. I don't think they'll compete to win the Big 12 championship, but I think there's going to be a lot of people pleasantly surprised with a brand of basketball that comes out of Norman, um, Porter Mosier.
1: One thing you do have to consider is the experience. It's not as if these guys are coming out of the high school level. And I get that the transition from high school to the college ranks isn't as stark of a contrast for other sports basketball is a unique setting. And if you can shoot the ball, it doesn't matter what gym you're in. You should be able to shoot the ball. It doesn't matter who's guarding you. You should be able to shoot the ball. Creating for yourself is a little bit of a different story. I think we saw, for instance, a guy like Trey Young who came in, Excellent shooter, still a really good shooter in the NBA, but he had to learn how to create for himself here at the collegiate level. And people started to figure him out that that was something that began to wane in the latter half of his college career, even though it lasted for a singular singular year. Trey Young was gonna get his points, don't get me wrong, but there was no support there. There was no anyone who could come alongside him and help shoulder that burden really. And so when I look at what Porter Moser's doing, I see these are guys with experience. They know what it takes to, in terms of physicality, they know what it takes in terms of conditioning to play at this level. They're not newbies. They know exactly what's going on and how they need to treat their bodies, what mindset they need to come in with and the intensity level that they need to continuously live up to each night and each outing, whatever time of the day they're playing actually. So when I look at what, what Moser's doing, the one thing that this, this team my opinion here is going to hinge upon is their ability to guard the perimeter the current the 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 current trend not only in college basketball but also we've seen this in the nba and it's more so a trickle down effect from the nba is to get these individuals who are 68 to 610 611 even at this point when we talk about Giannis who can play any position on the court and letting them take over the ball handling responsibilities or letting them stand out there on the wing and go to work one-on-one while the rest of the, the, the players clear out and give them an open lane. That's the trend that we're in, and you can put bodies, you can put trees down underneath the basket at the collegiate level. But it's how can you defend the perimeter? Because we know, regardless of what the tr- what, what the trend is in the NBA, when we get into the postseason, when we get into the NCAA tournament, guard play more often than not dictates who wins.
0: Well, again, that's that's what Porter Moser is wanting to change. And when you look at,
1: I get that. I just don't at, know how much confidence I have in it right now. Well,
0: but I mean, it, it, you're acting like they don't have guard. I mean, you're tell me, Elijah Harkless can't guard who, who can name a guard that Elijah Harkless can't cover in this, in this conference.
1: Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to see you and Elijah Harkless and I'm going to give you a Mo Gibson.
0: But, I, I mean, Elijah Harkless is going to be in your best score. And that, that's what you want. I mean, you want the not the best score to, to beat you. you. You Playing Oklahoma State, you don't want Kate Cunningham to beat you. You know? And that's, that's what they did last year. They, they got beat, but it wasn't because of Cade Cunningham. The point I'm making is when, when, you're, when you've got a defensive guy like Elijah Harkless, that's the model that Porter Mosier wants. But he doesn't want just one Elijah Harkless. He wants two or three Elijah Harklesses, and he's got to get there. I'm saying he's not there this year, clearly, but that's the direction he's heading. But just because he has one Elijah Harkless doesn't mean he can't be competitive. Because we already saw, there's no one in the Big 12 who can cover Tanner Groves. I mean, we saw that, right? Did we not see that in the NCAA tournament? So you're going to say, oh yeah, well, they've got, you know, they got Mo Gibson here, but who's going to cover Tanner Groves? Tell me that. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I mean, it's just going to be a fun, a fun, um, a fun, I, I can't wait for October and November just because I want to see this product on the floor.
1: Yeah, absolutely
0: all right well that's going to wrap it up for us here at the sooner nation podcast uh he's rich i'm matt you can find us every day on the internet heartland-sports.com oklahoma content covering as many sports as we have time for Uh, a lot of a lot of heavy softball stuff going on right now as well as some summer memories as we head in those dog days waiting for football season we are online on twitter at at sports heartland on twitter and uh we'd love to hear from you let us know where you agree or disagree you got some um topics or suggestions for the podcast we'd love to hear from you on that as well have a fantastic weekend enjoy your softball tune in you won't regret it boomer sooner everybody